0: To the Jay's Journal Podcast for Tuesday, August 1st. Happy August to all you listeners. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on tonight's show, I've put together a brilliant. Of course, they're always brilliant, but this one is especially uh, cerebral. This round table I've put together, consisting of Diamond Hall, Adam Corsair, and Craig Borden. Each of these gentlemen are fascinating in their own background, but I think what you'll find tonight is our discussion as it relates to the trade deadline the future of the Blue Jays and looking at the nature of the players that they have will hopefully be something that you uh, potentially find intriguing. I know I did in speaking with them. So buckle up and stay tuned, and we will go ahead and fantastic round fantastic roundtable. I want to take a moment, of course, to mention that uh, last night's 7-6 to six loss to the Chicago White Sox, of course, was uh, an example of uh, how dangerous a six-run deficit can be. And I say that as a bit of a smart ass by virtue of what the Blue Jays were able to do a few nights earlier against the, uh, the Oakland Athletics. And obviously, it's frustrating to lose in a season where already there have been some of the most god awful, imaginable, frustrating losses that we could possibly conceive. But I want you to understand that this team does have a leadership group that will not talk about losing like this. And that's why I think tonight's game is particularly important because it will demonstrate whatever resolve is left group, and one that we now know after the trade deadline, will be kept intact, most likely, for the 2018 season. And I think there's a lot to be said for redemption, this kind of failing to do something that everyone expected you to do, and then coming back and showing them that you shouldn't have lost faith in the first place. And there's no doubting in my mind that for all the foibles and deficiencies that exist on this year's 2017 Toronto Blue Jays. The fact remains that no one in the right mind expected them to be this frustrating, this underachieving, and this ineffective at basically all the things they did so well in the previous two years. So I'm emboldened with the notion that if management is prepared to approach the fans and say, we're going to increase ticket prices next by 17% that maybe there are enough of the faithful looking at this and saying that an opportunity to invest in this product exists. We know that there will be players who will not come back next year. Most likely, I'm including Jose Bautista in that group. So knowing that between 40 to $60 million of payroll could conceivably free up suddenly gives the average fan this notion that, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this team is prepared to compete in 2018 by investing in the free agency market and maybe giving some young players like Anthony Alford a chance to finally shine rather than sporting a cavalcade of players that are just perpetually underachieving. So we're going to go ahead now and throw ourselves into this excellent round table As promised, I've got Craig, Diamond, and Adam on the line virtually sitting around me. I can almost imagine that they're in front of me right now. I'm going, to start, I'm going to start by asking Adam this question to lead us off. Adam, the Blue Jays, in a season where, for all intents and purposes now, they've declared it's done. We're looking towards 2018, have about 54 games left, and against some teams that are going to obviously do what happened last night and previous weeks before, which is hand them their lunch. My question to you, Adam, is Knowing now that they have increased ticket prices for next year by 17%, especially for those sitting in the 500 level, how do you feel about that, knowing that this team has underperformed so poorly this year?
1: Well, um, I certainly hope that they don't. Uh, I certainly hope that uh, outings like last night don't repeat themselves. Um, that was that was pretty frustrating. But... Um, in terms of next year, I, I, I don't know. I, I just I just hope that the management fulfills their promise or their rather their goal of uh, trying to to field a competitive team next year. Um, I mean, they're certainly off to the right start, I think, um, given the moves that they made yesterday. Um, I'm sure we'll jump into that in a bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, all you can go on is pretty much faith that they're going to they're going to fulfill their, their goal of competing.
0: Th- that leads me to ask the question is faith good enough? I mean, Diamond, is, is it enough to say, let's have faith that management will do <laughs> the right thing when clearly they've indicated, of, of, they've given no indication of the case?
2: Um, I, think that, I think that faith sometimes is good, sometimes it's not. It just depends on um, you know, who they're putting that faith in, to be honest with you, and how much they trust that person.
0: So, in your opinion, should fans trust uh, a general manager and a president that have been around for a year and a half and are now basically heralding what is the end of competition, however temporary. It could be for the remainder of the two months. It could be for all of 2018. After waiting 22, 23 years, let me ask you this, Craig. Is it enough to go on faith? Do you have confidence that uh, management is steering this team in the right direction while asking you to pay more?
3: I think it's a little rough to ask for the more money on the ticket prices and everything, but as long as they're putting something on the field that is fun to watch, I'm still going to show up and I'm going to watch on TV. Maybe it is the, you know, that I'm a hardcore fan and I've already seen this team a million times worse over the years than the middle of that drought that you were just alluding to. But me, one way or the other, I'm going to be going, and I'm still going to be a Toronto Blue Jays fan. I'm not going to jump bandwagon or anything. still going to be on here writing minor league stuff, and I think we got some talent coming that we will be – A little bit more competitive, I think, than most people think.
2: I agree with him right there. I think that um, that if people have been around, have been a fan for for so long, they're going to stick with they're going to stick with the Blue Jays no matter what happens. Uh, People aren't just going to throw in the towel because um, of because of what they're doing right now. I think that it's going to matter. So, so in a sense, I guess faith. You know, if if you're a true Blue Jays fan, I mean, you're going to have faith,
1: whatever they're doing. Yeah, I certainly um, suspect a. A drop off in ticket sales in terms of the casual fans um, specifically with names that they are quite familiar with Um, I I don't know that uh, well I'm willing to bet that players like Bautista won't be on this team next year and if Estrada goes he won't be here Um, but so I think that will cause a little bit of a dip in ticket sales but I think for the for the, um, for the ones that I guess you could call hardcore or you know the faithful fans I suppose you could say um the Jays in and, of the, in and of themselves are probably a reason enough to, to to tune in or to go to a game.
3: I have to just say one thing. At least, um, you know, I've gotten my winning in the last few years. on have all my sports teams with the Blue Jays being good the last couple of years in 2015 and 16. Being a Buffalo Bills fan and a Buffalo Sabres fan, you know, I'm going to lose 10 billion followers probably on Twitter because of that comment. But I just don't know what winning is until 2015. So, <laughs>
1: Greg, I am a Bills fan, too, and uh, as you know, and uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree. I, I don't think there's anything I, more really to add to that. I, I apologize for you guys being, being Bills fan. I so, so, so terrible for
0: you.
3: Well, no, the, this is how it is.
0: It's interesting. We're talking about loyalty, which is a concept I brought up on last night's show, and on the show that I had last week, as well, more and more uh, guests I have are talking about the loyalty and, and I would never be the one, the one to suggest that a demonstration of loyalty is an absolute validation because fans are going through their own lives and their own day-to-day trials and tribulations. And, you know, truly the ones that have been with the team from the beginning are the ones who stick around until the end of the season. But isn't Toronto, by virtue of the kind of baseball market that it is, completely reliant on the fair weather fan in order to be financially successful? I'm going to start with you, Adam. If you can't appeal to those bandwagon jumpers, what you're basically left with is an average of fifteen to 20,000 in attendance every night, and management won't accept. It. So, isn't this a case of maybe them trying to have their cake and eat it by basically saying, "We know we're the only baseball, Canadian baseball club, in, in in the foreseeable future in this market, and we're going to take advantage of that by increasing prices and and raising the the you know not raising the quality of the product."
1: Yeah, I mean, I can I can see why that would be the case, but I I think and this goes right back to faith. Um, I do think that they will they will probably end up doing one of two things during the offseason. They'll probably try to sign a player that is well-known enough to be uh, casual slash fair weather fans to attract them to the ballpark, or they'll, and this may be a little bit more cynical, they might create the illusion that they're actually trying to compete Mm at, at least to the degree that they were in 15 and 16. Um, I think that will be, enough of a reason to get people to go to the ballpark, you know, should those acquisitions happen, um, as kind of sneaky as it may be. Um, but that's just my prediction. I'm going to make the
3: point, Ari, that, you know, how many people came and watched Carlos Delgado and Ray Holiday there in the, you know, what I'm going to call the dark ages where we were supposedly oh. competing.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: you know, yeah, we made a couple of free agent splashes that might have been, you know, the for knots with the A.J. Burnett, B.J. Ryan fund, but um, they were supposedly going to be competitive those years. And I think the average was probably in the 15 20 ballpark. But yeah, it, it's that question of what you get with the bandwagon fans. But I think you might have, the 2015 2016 might have brought in a whole generation of new dedicated loyal fans also. Yeah, and this is
1: in a time where where um, Roy Halliday was pretty much all they had, right? In in the Black Jays era, that, that's pretty, unless you really want to count like, I don't know, Vernon Wells or something, I don't. But if it, Vernon, I mean, um, Roy Halliday was pretty much all they had, whereas now these these fans that have, I guess, just hopped on the bandwagon, they have players to latch on to, like Josh Donaldson, like Marcus Stroman, like Aaron Sanchez. Uh, even uh, Kevin Pilar, and even if this year, if it carries over like a Justin Smoke, um, I don't necessarily think that that core is enough to make a serious run, but maybe for the casual fans that they're attractive enough to make them come to the ballpark.
2: People always want something that they can't have at the end of the day. And for people in the United States, Toronto is something that they can't have. I mean, not just the Blue Jays, because, I mean, you got Drake. You got these, you got superstars out there you got Josh Donaldson, you got Jose Bautista, so they I mean essentially they they do kind of rely on the on the fair weather fans. think about Cleveland think about the Cleveland Cavaliers right now that LeBron is back, everybody's back on the bandwagon when he left, mm-hmm. nobody liked the Cleveland Cavaliers. Nobody was claiming the Cleveland Cavaliers, so I think they're really going to rely on on bringing somebody in uh or bringing a few people in that uh that bring in those fair-weather fans. Same thing with Golden State. That Curry, um, I mean, it, it's, it happens in every sport. The best team always, they always end up getting fans that really are true fans, like you guys are.
0: So to follow, as a follow-up to that point, if you're going to appeal to the fair-weather fan by giving them the razzle-dazzle of a presumably competitive baseball team, would it not then be incumbent upon you to spend more money as you raise prices isn 't that the natural logic diamond when it comes to investing in a product i 'm going to make you pay more money so I can spend more money to give you a better product should there be an implicit expectation when that happens with a market like this
2: I agree with you I definitely agree with um, with that I think that you know you do in order to you know, in order to get more sales you gotta, you got to invest and you have to everybody else has to be willing to invest as well so it 's going to be more of a it's going to be an everybody thing um, at the end of the
3: day. At least you might be able to get that pride factor out of it saying, I, I put my hard money into this. This is my team just as much as anything else is at the end of the day, too, especially if they do make a splash on the free agent market. It's a good market this year. We don't know what we're going to be able to break in.
0: Absolutely. It's a great market, and, and we here at this roundtable understand that there is a nucleus to work with, right? This is not a team that doesn't have talent in the short-term and long-term outlook. We know that Mark Roman is a star in- argue that Marcus Stroman should be considered one of the most elite pitchers in baseball by virtue of his ability to pitch the big game time and time and time again. We've been fed the, the whole gospel according to Aaron Sanchez and even though he can't put together three starts this year, I believe he is an elite pitcher and has a very very rosy future in this league. We look at someone like a Roberto Asuna and we say, notwithstanding those two blown saves, has there been anyone better as a closer here? So Craig, my question is, knowing that there is a nucleus to work with, and, of course, there's also Devin Travis, if he can stay helpful, which is a big question, Mark. Do you feel confident that if they were to make a free agent splash, that they could find a way to legitimately stay competitive in 2018 with the players they have now?
3: Yeah, I think even if you're going to bring back a guy like Marco Estrado back after this season, even that's a good splash, in my opinion. He did look better yesterday, and he was lights out, just like he had been prior. But if you go out and grab another pitcher... On top of that, you're already talking. We have four solid pitchers for next year, and that's not even bringing in the equation, all the young kids that are possibly coming into the play, too. I said on last night's show that there's a lot of these guys that are going to be in Triple A next year rather than, you know, Double A like they are currently. So you bring in a couple of guys, and I would hope that they find somebody that can play every day, left field or right field, because I will be very, very surprised if Jose Bautista comes back. I just don't see a reason that they would pick up that option. And, um, or, you know, if they do, it's going to be some kind of a restructuring and really relatively cheap, hoping he proves something. But I think you've got to hope they make some kind of a splash and they, they're they not that far off. You know, it's just everything but that, everything, including bad luck this year.
1: I would hope, uh, I would hope that they wouldn't just stop at Estrada. I'm not sure I necessarily think that acquiring Estrada would be considered a splash exclusively. Um, I would hope they would just build off that, but I do think, Ari, to your point that, um, or to your question, rather, that the core, the nucleus that we have now, I do think it's, if you build on that correctly, I do think it's, it's enough of a starting point to compete. I mean, I, I, I agree that I don't see Ortiz coming back next year, and I think this uh, um, Hernandez is going to be the heir to the right field throne. I, I, I think we acquired a special talent, and I think he's going to open a lot of eyes for people, and maybe that, maybe that's an acquisition that we made this year that will help next year.
0: Something needs to be done in recognizing the up to sixty million dollars that will be freed up once this regular season is over. And when the bean counters at Rogers get to work and realize, hey, we don't have to bring back Bautista at eighteen million dollars. And we can get out of here on a friendly deal with some control. And now we have forty five or fifty million dollars that we can go on the free agent market and make a huge splash, impress the, the faithful, really get the fair weather on notice, and then suddenly you've got a ball team that not only can potentially win eighty seven nine games in twenty eighteen, but then set up a perfect conflux, I think you'll agree, Adam, of of youth meets experience in the case of Bobochet, and Vlad Guerrero Junior. Can you see that happening or does that seem too fairy tale?
1: No, I I can definitely see that happening, and I think that's the plan, right? So the, I, I, the difficulty of trying to, quote-unquote, compete in the near term while bridging the gap to the future, it's, it's very difficult. And I think uh, a lot of people just expect, like, because they see numbers from Bichette and Guerrero, and they say, well, bring them up now. But the it, people need to have patience with this, and I think that as long as they stay the course, I think those players are going to be very, very special. And I think that... They're going to provide the Blue Jays with not just, like, sure, Josh Donaldson is an extremely special player, but if we if he walks away next year, we've ha- we didn't have him for, what, was, I don't know, three, four years, whereas we'll yeah. have Vlad for hopefully a little more than six. So, like, yeah. you have these players that are going to provide you with a lot of years and a lot of use and a lot of control. I think there's something to say that
3: those are going to be homegrown guys, too. Yes. Outside of Strowman, Sanchez, and Kevin Pilar and Osuna, you know, I'd say that's our core four if you're going to make the Yankee reference right now and you're building on top of that. I call that a heck of a foundation to be able to start playing with. And I, Adam and I talked about this at a Fisher's Cats game a few weeks ago that the free agent market pitchers, there's a couple that are pretty enticing that are not in the super expensive ballpark. I was talking to him with uh, Tyler Chatwood of the Rockies.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: He's been putting up solid numbers for the Rockies. Yeah, he's been a little off and hurt this year, but he was doing that in Coors Field. What's saying he can't do better? I know the AL East is no pitcher's ballpark by any means, but you got a couple guys like that that might fly out into the radar that, you know, and then you make the big splash and pay somebody 20 mil or
2: something like that with Jose Bautista's leftover money. I agree with you guys there. I think that not rushing the process as far as bringing guys up. you know, through the bigs like I think that I think that that's huge. And fans, most of the time, fans don't really understand that. Bring him up now, He's doing great now. though. No, it's a process. Mm. You know, these guys have to mature. These guys have to get the experience that they need. And they also have to, you know, continue with their with their mental development and their physical development. Um, people think that, you know, everybody can, you know, think about Bryce Harper when he first came into the league. Everybody thought he was going to be, you know, just – Unbelievable off the bat, be able to go you know straight out of the, and, and have a quick process straight out of the minors, double a single a um and then get to you know make it to the bigs quick, but it was a process you know, they 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 do this stuff strategically um that way that when these guys get to the get to the uh big leagues and these guys are on t v that they're ready they're one hundred percent ready and they can stay for that six years and be a huge impact as well
0: mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, Diamond, and I'll ask this to the whole group, but I'll start with you. How much is having the influence of someone like an agent a potential impediment to the expectations of the player? I mean, look at Aaron Sanchez. Before he went ahead and took the services of Scott Boris, Uber agent, super billionaire game changer, he seemed to be on the right track in terms of getting the right media exposure But now it almost seems like the expectations have exceeded the reality, and he's playing catch-up. I mean, he's not going to be able to have much of a year, regardless of how many starts he finished with. Should there be a concern with young players that maybe a lot of them are just expecting too much too soon? Skip Bryce harper he may be a mercurial talent, but he's one of the worst, worst baseball players in terms of class and leadership. Seems like every month there's some kind of weird misadventure involving what should be the Mike Trout equivalent of, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick.
2: Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, for guys coming into this, they have to understand that most of these agents, I mean, they're agents, for, they're about money. They're not going to be looking at your, your your mental game development. They're not going to be looking at your leadership skills. They're not going to be looking to develop those things. They're looking to make you and themselves as much money as possible. Now, I'm not saying every single agent is like this, but I'm saying for the players that are listening to be extremely conscious of who you can trust and who you can't trust, because some of these guys are, are only for money, and you know, money is very important. This is also a business, but at the same time, in order to in order to have a have a good impact on the game, to have a you know, to have a monster impact on the game, you have to have your leadership skills. You have to be setting a good example. Your mental toughness has to be on one thousand. All of these things matter, and sometimes guys lose lose sight of that.
1: I also think that this is. Um this is something that we should be thankful for when it comes to or Osuna. I, I guess he's a bit of an anomaly because he's been playing for so long, but mm-hmm. um, to have that kind of poise on the mound, and I think he just went from single A right to the bigs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. To have that kind of poise and that maturity on the mound in these tense, tense, high-pressure situations, it's, it's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty valuable. And. And I think you're right, Ari, when it comes to players like Bryce Harper, the mental maturity, it's it's valuable, and it's going to take time and patience. And I think that's what a lot of young players today may be lacking. Don't make any more
3: clown comments, Guy. I'm just saying. (laughs) 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 Um, Anyway, that's the kind of thing. I think we've actually been, over the years, we've been a little uh, almost too fortunate on that front, where you guys say that the worst leadership Moments in recent Blue Jay history are like the Ruinedor Bautista battle, and things like that are really the only blips on the radar on that topic. You know, we've been doing a good job of pushing uh, people through the system and getting them up there and going out and being successful across the major leagues as we traded everybody. But I think they're doing a good job of recruiting character along
2: with talent over the last few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that plays a huge part. I think that plays a huge part in in why there are so many, you know, fairweather fans. That why they are bringing in so much money because they have. I mean, let's be honest here. When, when we see a fight in the MLB, when we see Jose Bautista get into that fight, everybody's tuning in and watch it. Um, I, I forget which which book it was that I read, but it says something like, um, you know, any kind of attention is good attention, whether it's whether it's good or bad. Because all eyes are going to be on you when that fight happened. All eyes were on the Blue Jays. Yeah, it was really a thing, But exactly, exactly, it didn't work out too well for them. But at the same time, it did get them views. It did get them, you know, people tuning in, like basketball fans, football fans, people who never watch baseball. They're tuning in yeah. to see what happened with Jose Bautista getting knocked out.
0: So, and that's an important point. No question. I agree, diamond with the notion that. Any kind of publicity can be really profoundly good publicity at the end of the day if you learn from experiences. And, Craig, I'll be the Absolutely. first to concede that under the Martin-Tillewitzki-Donaldson triumvirate of leadership, things have definitely gotten better. This has become a classier organization. But let's not forget that before the three wise men, if you will, arrived on the scene, we had all sorts of unfortunate, regrettable moments just lacked any leadership in the clubhouse, whether it was you know Escobar and what he put on his face paint, and the trouble he got into, or whether it was Shea Hillenbrand writing The Ship is Sinking, or whether it was Ted <laughs> Lilly getting into a fight with John Gibbons. I mean, it's been like UFC and WWE for many years here too. So I think we need to recognize that leadership, and you've all mentioned this, is truly an integral part of the game, but that if you're not careful and you corrupt that chemistry, and uh, what do you think, Craig? Was not bringing back Edwin a corruption of that chemistry? Because I have the sneaking suspicion that if, if they ponied up and retained his services, so obviously no Kendris Morales or who knows, maybe Kendris Morales and Edwin Encarnacion. Is there something to be said to making sure that when you've got that bottled recipe that you don't end up losing it?
3: Yeah, I, that was a big blow. I agree with that statement as far as things go in the dugout. But um, Edwin was never known for being the, you know, big show. He always just, you know, did the kind of like Roy Holiday, Delgado thing. Led by example, I put it all on the field and, you know, this is what's going to happen every day. The um, mentality, like you were alluding to prior to that kind of things, where the Adam Lins that were, you know, supposedly had no work ethic, but yet he's still hanging around the majors hitting home runs. Um, the Colby Raff misses that, you know, maybe weren't showing up on time, things like that. But um, that's something I think that's said for where we're going, regardless of how competitive we are the next couple of years. Um, you are going to have Martin and D- Tulo in that dugout regardless of what's going on. And those guys are going to teach, hey, this is how you, you know, play the game. This is what you do after the game. This is what goes on in a dugout. Um, like last year with Tulo calling the meeting, you know, and getting everybody players only to get, you know, back together and whatnot. I know he played a big part in that. I'm not sure if he was the whole driving force, but those are the kind of things that might be instilled in our
0: coming youth. Which, unfortunately, with like his team's payroll... That's a pretty expensive, industry, isn't it? That's $20 million to get what you've described as a glorified cheerleader. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. If, if Troy Tulowitzki can't be a positive win above replacement player, Adam, how are we supposed to deal with the fact that we've got glorified cheerleaders who might know how to rally a team, actually help the team directly?
1: It's certainly a ridiculously tough sell. Um, if you're not performing, I guess that's what people care about the most, right? The production on the field. Um, I, of course, value his, his leadership skills and, you know, the quote-unquote dad role that he has, speaking of Tulo. Um, but if you're not performing on the field, uh, that's really tough to swallow, saying, hey, here's $20 million to, to, be, to be the Blue Jays' dad and to make sure that everyone yeah. stays in line and you lead by example. That's, that's very, very hard to swallow.
2: I got, I got to disagree with you right there. I think that, you know, having a, um, having a veteran around for these younger guys coming in can be extremely, extremely beneficial to, you know, guys that are coming in with more talent. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, think about, um, you know, think about um, you know, maybe a time that um, that you've been helped out by somebody who's already where you want to get. It, it speeds up the process tremendously. And to be able yeah, to have Tulo in that, to be able to have, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. No, I'm not saying that the, the input and the, and the leadership role isn't valuable. I'm just not sure it's worth $20 million a year.
0: Right, right. And I can agree with you there. But I, think I mean, with a limited, limited, uh, talked, limited talked, payroll, that's my concern, right, guys, is that we're talking about a team right. that doesn't want to spend $160 million a year. So, Diamond, my question becomes, if those resources, like a Martin and a Tulowitzki, are unable to give you the kind of value. And, I, and by the way, I'm a reasonable man myself. If you give me 50% value, I can live with it, and then your intangibles will take over the rest. But I think that's what's frustrated Blue Jays fans this year, is that they've seen so little value from certain key positions that we've almost institutionalized our expectation to not expect anything out of those positions, which you can imagine when the young kids, motivated, ready to go ahead and prove themselves, show up, will be like, Truly, a breath of fresh air. Right, and I think that you know, and, and for the
2: fans, they have to understand that you know this is the hardest sport to play. Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do on the face of the planet when it comes to sports. So these guys aren't always going to produce how we want them to. It's a matter of kind of like we talked about earlier. Do, do you do you truly have faith in Tulo that he can come back next year and you know have an impactful year? You know, I mean, I remember I, I remember when uh, you know. Joey Votto, he had a bad year, and everybody was questioning everything yeah. that you know, that he had done, and he came back and he he beasted. Baseball is a hard sport to play. It's the hardest sport to play. And sometimes fans lose sight of that. They think that, you know, everybody's usually focused on the outcome, the outcome, the results, the results, which is, at the end of the day, that is what matters. But at the same time, from a, from a player's perspective, you know, this is this is the hardest game to play. you got to cut these guys some slack one, one time or another. And if they're bringing leadership to the dugout, if they're – if they're, um, you know, schooling these younger kids uh, coming up, then, you know, maybe stick around. See how they play out for a little while. Have faith in them like we talked about earlier.
3: I love the Joey Votto comparison with the potential that's going on with the Troy Tulewinski deal. I think that Tulo's at that point where he needs to figure out what he needs to do to be a successful player going forward in his career, and I think that's just that crossroads he's at right now. You've seen him playing around with his swing all season. He had the leg kick and spring training. He's back to the toe tap. Mm-hmm. Now it just kind of looks like he was, you know, right before he got hurt. Is He's trying a million and one things. He's not Cal Ripken that can change his swing every five minutes and still hit the ball out of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. as he refines that system, you know, and I, one way or the other, he is still bringing you near-gold-glove shortstop play. Mm-hmm. I and plus those intangibles. I just think the defense plays well. Plus, mm. um I know Ari you were talking, is he really worth twenty mil at that point? I don't know how much the Astros are paying for Carlos Beltran right now, but it's that same mentor role that he's not really doing a ton of work and you know they buried his glove in left field for Christ's sake. <laughs> 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 and a funeral for it. <laughs> so he's you know, at least Tulo's contributing on a you know, the defensive side of the ball for somebody like Beltran. But Maybe that's where these things go after so on, but I think he still can bring a lot to the team going forward. And I know he has the work ethic to at least
2: do his best out of the situation. Yeah, and I to be honest with you guys, you guys talking about him messing with his swing all you know all year, he he really needs to get himself. Um, I would prefer he get himself a mental game coach. Now I think they have some um, some in that organization, but I think that he, he you know it's not it's not physical. It's it's a mental part of the game. Uh, because he's done this before. He's been successful before. It's a matter of, you know, reliving the successes that he's had and kind of remembering that you can do this. Yeah. he you know, have been. Too. Exactly. And it's a matter of making that as consistent as possible, which, again, baseball is the hardest game to play, and it's tough to do. But I think that, um, I mean, that would be really beneficial um, if, he, if he got the right guy uh, to come do some work with him as far as the mental game goes. And, uh, I mean, you never know.
0: Gentlemen, this round table has been a slice. That's the phrase that I'm using. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it catches on. Um, but before <laughs> I go, I want to go around the table. Let's start with, uh, start with Adam and then Diamond and then end up with Craig, who I like giving the last word. Tell me what you're working on, what you've got on the horizon, and use it as a shameless plug. Go ahead, Adam. <laughs>
1: um, you can find all my work at uh, south of the six dot com, and it's, it's spelled 6-I-X. Uh, six that's how all the cool kids spell it nowadays. So uh, southofthesix.com. You can find me on Twitter at southofthesix and uh, at a acorsair21. Um, I uh, write daily content about the Blue Jays. I, I tried to go as, as live as possible yesterday with the trade deadline, and uh, I am plan on expanding more about that when it comes to the minor league talent. And uh, coming up this week, I have an interview scheduled with um, – Tom Pannone, which was the the pitcher that was acquired yesterday in the um, Joe Smith deal. Yeah, he's actually from Rhode Island, where I live. So I kind of used that card to to try to get him on. So you'll be hearing that soon. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Um,
2: D-I-A-M-Y-N-H-A-L-L. You know, right now I'm working on a project, um, you know, trying to create a website, trying to get a logo going. And what I do is I work on the mental, the mental part of the game. And, you know, mental toughness coach, mental skills coach, mental conditioning coach, mental performance coach, whatever, whatever people prefer to call it. It's it's all about um, you know me being able to unlock guys' potential, uh, their physical potential through their minds. And and with baseball, I think this is a this is an extremely um, important component when it comes to playing consistently, playing with confidence, and, and you know putting yourself in the best position for success. Um, so like I said, right now. Well, the only thing you can really find me on is Twitter and Instagram, um, and a website will be coming soon. I appreciate you having me, Art.
0: Right. Always a pleasure. You know that, my friend. Craigers.
2: Well, as uh, Ari just alluded to, you
3: can find me on Twitter at Craigers1221, and <laughs> I am going to keep bringing you your minor league recaps on a daily basis through the Jays Journal. Me and uh, a couple of other individuals on the Jays Journal to handle all the minor league writing where I'm kind of the lead guy. Um I am going to be doing a piece on Ryan Barucki, the possibly emerging prospect within the Blue Jays Meyer League organization. Just got promoted to New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and I had the pleasure of seeing him a couple of weeks ago. He ended up throwing – he's thrown four, two starts for 14 innings, and he's only given up a run so far, and I believe he mm. might be pitching tonight. So, and this is after having a solid season with the Blue Jays. Um, also, Ari, I'm thinking about continuing on our little chat yesterday about the you know, trade the farm or keep the farm and hope for the future. <laughs> so I'm to playing with that idea right now. To possibly right. an article, so We'll see where it goes, but um, that's what I'm working on right now.
0: Good stuff. I love it. You've been listening to Adam Corsair, Diamond Hall, and Craig Borden on the Jay's Journal podcast from Table. I am your host, Ari Shapiro. Have a good night. Thanks, Ari. Thanks, man. Appreciate
2: you, Ari.